Tonight on Huckabee, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Election security with Missouri's Jay Ashcroft. Award-winning magician Stuart McDonald. American Idol winner Caleb Johnson. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Welcome, everybody. What a great show we have lined up. I'm pretty excited about just getting it going. But before we do, I'm just going to put it out there. Elon Musk is my nominee for Man of the Year. He is the world's richest man, doesn't even own a home. Did you know that? He just crashes with friends in various places. That's true. So, hey, Elon, if you need a place to hang out, I'm happy to offer my place for you because I truly appreciate a billionaire who puts his money where his mouth is. Or, in his case, he puts his money where the enemies of free speech's mouths are. And he stuffs wads of cash in their nasty mouths and buys the very platform that has shut out the voices of conservatives, Christians, and Trump supporters while keeping Twitter open to the Ayatollah and to medical fraudsters like Tony Fauci, who has spent two years in an ever-changing chant as to what private citizens have to do to fight a virus, even if his advice changed every month. And even if he appears to have lied in a large way about the origin of the Wuhan virus and whether he and other U.S. taxpayer-funded scientists knew all along about the real origin of the COVID leak and that the U.S. dollars that we paid for helped fund experiments that would have been illegal in the U.S. Well, Elon Musk offered to flat-out buy Twitter. Now, the left went berserk. In fact, to the point that you would have thought that Elon Musk wanted to turn off the water in every American city and make us all eat Soylent Green. <laughs> Which is, by the way, a reference that only baby boomers will understand. <laughs> Some of you younger ones, you'll have to say, what's Soylent Green? Ask later, not right now, okay? Some 20-something-year-old wearing baggy pajamas and working from a filthy apartment littered with empty Cheetos bags will no longer be able to decide who gets to speak and who doesn't. Elon Musk bought the entire thing for $44 billion and plans to restore it to a true form. Now, granted, there are going to be a lot of stuff on Twitter that's going to be outrageous, wrong, and inflammatory. But that's how real free speech works. And if it's defamatory, the object of such hate can sue. Yeah, it's tough to win. But one thing I hope that Musk will do is force people to openly identify who they are when they speak. Far too many blathering cowards hide behind silly sophomoric screen names so they can shoot from the dark and then run and hide behind a wall of secrecy. I hope that stops. 
hey, if you want to say something, be man enough or woman enough. Well, if you happen to know what those terms even mean anymore. <laughs> but be man enough or woman enough to say it with your real name attached to it. Nor, no more of these wimpy word wizards who are often not even real humans, but simply electronic bots taking pot shots at people who actually have the guts to stand by their words in their own name. Now, there'll likely be massive waves of voices being released from the stupid and hate-driven Twitter jail where those who dare to speak out about topics that are taboo, like elections, COVID treatments, or Hunter Biden's revealing laptop, got exiled. Twitter twits sometimes kept you from knowing how good old Papa Joe was very much involved in Hunter's dirty dealings with the Chinese, the Russians, and others for which, well, they easily identified the big guy and how he got a lucrative cut out of the deals. Those stories from the New York Post got banned from Twitter. But now even the New York Times and Washington Post admits that laptop is authentic. The loons on the left really do fear free speech. They do. Old-time and sincere liberals, they always loved free speech and defended it and fought for it. And they'll also have their voices restored. They deserve to be heard too. Folks, it's a brave new world. And Elon Musk is a brave new leader. Jay Oshcroft has been an attorney, an engineer, and an educator. And he's also served as Missouri's 40th Secretary of State for nearly the last six years. He oversees an office of more than 200 people. He's prioritized election security making sure that every legal registered voter has the chance to make their voice heard at the ballot box. He says, it's time to secure our elections now more than ever, as President Joe Biden keeps trying to overhaul elections at the federal level in a blatant power grab. You may know his father, John Ashcroft, one of America's truly great statesmen. John Ashcroft served as the Missouri governor, U.S. Senator, and the Attorney General of the United States. Please welcome to the show a really good guy, Missouri Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft. You got one of the toughest jobs in government, and a lot of people don't even know that the Secretary of State in the states really has the responsibility of making sure that the elections are fair, and that they're, uh, they're all clean. And, and I think a lot of people after 2020 said, boy, we got to make sure of that. You didn't really have any problems in Missouri, did you? No, we didn't have any major problems at all. We had a couple of people we caught cheating. We referred them to prosecution. That's what we do in Missouri. Yeah, as, as it should happen. What's the biggest challenge that you face when you're trying to make sure that everyone gets to vote, but not anyone gets to cheat? You know, uh, trying to get good laws through the legislature. I think you know a little bit about that from being governor. <laughs> Uh, but also, it used to be you just worried about running a, a, a secure election and making sure that every eligible voter could vote. Now you have to realize that people don't trust you, and we have to run it not only so you do the first two, but people say, yeah, that was well run, my vote matters. You know, Jay, there was a real transparency in places like Missouri and, and Florida. Uh, people remember in 2000, it was a mess, and that's where the election fell apart between George Bush and Al Gore, and it was contentious, it went to the Supreme Court. To their credit, and I give Jeb Bush a lot of credit for this. He was the governor of uh, Florida at the time. 
They never wanted to have that kind of embarrassment again. They cleaned up their election. And in this most recent one, third largest state in the country, they had all the ballots counted, certified, and not one iota of controversy, and it was all done by 10 o'clock, and that expands over two time zones. Why can't every state do what Florida and Missouri and most of the states are able to do? Well, that's the lie. Every state can do that if they want to run their elections well. The gold standard of elections is to have as many people as possible go on election day to their polling place, prove who they are, vote, handmark paper ballots, drop it in the machine. You don't have any problems. Everybody's done at 10 o'clock, and nobody really minds if the elections get over quickly. We don't want any more campaign commercials that we have to have. I, I think you're right about that. Sounds like voter ID is pretty important. It's common sense. In Missouri, uh, we're trying to push a law where we would provide a free voter ID to anybody need it. We'll provide the underlying documents. We want to make sure that every registered voter can vote. And when people trust the system, more people will participate. And that's a good thing. There's been this nonsense that uh, uh, people, maybe people of color, people who are poor, they wouldn't know how to get a voter ID. And I, I think what an insult to people because they have every kind of ID already. Well, what, is, what is even behind that? Uh, uh, it's, it's partisan political gamesmanship, but I think it's racist. The idea that someone, because of their skin color, can't get an ID, that they're not smart enough somehow, that's ridiculous and is abhorrent, I think, to any reasonable person. If, uh, if the Democrats get their way, they would federalize the elections. And I don't think a lot of people have ever stopped and thought about what that means, but it fundamentally transforms the way we do elections in America and it really kind of throws out the constitutional idea of the 10th Amendment. Why is that a dangerous thing? Or is it a dangerous thing? Maybe I shouldn't assume it is, but, but from your perspective as a person responsible for ballot security in your state, good idea or bad idea? It's a terrible idea. What does the federal government do well? I mean, if you take out well, the military put it that, that breaks way. stuff and kills people, yeah. what else do they do well? <laughs> They spend money. They spend money really well. They spend money they don't have. Well, that's true. Money that we don't even have. But, but I think that's an important point that, that you've made is that if they take it over, it'll be a one-size-fits-all approach to administering the elections, and that's troublesome. And no one will, tr no one will trust it. Yeah. And we'll have elections that take weeks to know who the winner is. Look at what happened in New York with the mayoral race, where they couldn't even know the mayoral race who the victor was for weeks. That's ridiculous. Elections aren't for government. They're not for the, the bureaucrats. They're for we the people. You are a part of a true political uh, legacy in Missouri. And, and I say that with the highest respect because there's nobody I have greater respect for than your father, John Ashcroft, your mom, Janet Ashcroft, two of the finest, most godly people. And they stayed godly throughout the entire political life they had. But you grew up in the shadow of a guy who was the governor, then the senator, and then an attorney general. Because I have a little vested interest in <laughs> what it's like to be the child uh, of a political figure, how tough is that on you, the child of the political figure? It has its plus and minuses like everything else. Um, admittedly, I went to become an engineer because I wanted to get a real job. Um, <laughs> but uh, I love the idea of public service. Yeah. And I'm thankful for a father that instilled me how important it is to serve others. Well, you've been an engineer in law school. Uh, and now Secretary of State, your term will come to an end in a couple of years. You've already said you're not going to run for re-election to Secretary of State. What might we infer <laughs> from that? Is there something else you're possibly looking at? 
yes, I, I, I will, I'm happy to continue to serve the people as long as I can, but I don't think I should stay in the same office. You start thinking it's your seat instead of the people's. Um, I think you can probably guess what office I'd love to serve in the state of Missouri. Well, I know this. If you ran for governor, there'd be some of us who would be real excited about that. I I'd hope have it some might old happen. signs I could use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that happens, I have a feeling that John and Janet Ashcroft will be out there on the campaign trail for you, and I can't think of anybody who would be more uh, uh, just helpful in terms of the credibility. But quite frankly, Jay, you've earned your own credibility. It's not that you will live in the shadow of your father, as great as that is, because the way that you have served with the honor and integrity that you've done, nobody has been able to question the manner in which you've conducted the elections. It's the way it ought to be. And I think all of us are grateful for that. And uh, I, for one, I hope that we will see you on the ballot for a governor in a couple of years. So I'll keep my eyes and ears open over there. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Jay Ashcroft, and we so are grateful for him. Now, if you want to keep up with him online, we have all the links to Jay Ashcroft at Huckabee.tv. You can follow Secretary Ashcroft and his next moves that we have kind of hinted might happen. All right, moving over to Keith Bilbrey. He's going to tell us all about the rest of the show, and there's nothing subtle about it at all. So go ahead, Keith. Well, up next, Lieutenant Colonel Allen B. West faces the woke mob. Plus, American Idol winner Caleb Johnson. Lots more Huckabee is on the way. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter. And follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. Alan West is a retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel. He served Florida's 22nd District in Congress. Then he served as Texas GOP Chair. Now, he was born in an era of segregation. He was born in a blacks-only hospital, even. But his success story should be an inspiration to everyone. Yet two weeks ago, he tried to tell his story at the University of Buffalo. And he had to be escorted off the campus by police because woke protesters mobbed the event. Well, nobody's going to let that happen to him here. That's for sure, because we're happy to have him. And I want you to give a warm welcome back to the show, Colonel Allen West. I had to tell uh, Colonel West as he came on, I whispered in his ear and I said, nobody's going to be giving you the bums rush here on this show. That's well, I, sure. I figured that you'd have your security <laughs> escorting me out of the, the, the building uh, when it's For all For old over. time's sake, right? Absolutely old time's sake. So what happened at the University of Buffalo? This is crazy. Well, it's absolutely crazy. And I think the thing that happened is that I did not toe the line. And so if you're obviously a black person in the United States of America now, you're supposed to hate America. America's racist. Uh, America was not established on July the 4th of 1776. It was established in 1619. But, Governor, the thing is, you and I born and raised down in the South. And when you think about the Little Rock Nine, yeah. what they went through, what was so appalling and telling for me was that we remember a time when black students had to be escorted onto a campus mm. when people were protesting. Now, the fact that someone that grew up in the South has seen some racism and 
yet still became a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army when my dad was just a corporal in a segregated army in World War II, mm. that I had to be escorted off of a campus by blacks because of black students. This is appalling. And this is one of the things that we have to get under control with this whole free speech and this whole narrative, because we have kids that don't want to hear the truth. That's as frightening to me, it's disturbing. And, and I'm amazed that you didn't just get really, really ticked off. Because it, it would seem to me, knowing the things that you saw and have seen in your lifetime, that these kids would say, how did you do it? How did you break through the barriers? They weren't interested in that. No, they weren't. They weren't interested in it. And the thing that the military teaches you is that you always remain calm, no matter what is going on around you. And I think that was to the advantage of exposing them. Uh, when you just peacefully walk right out and during the, uh, the presentation and the question and answer, which got crazy, uh, having the president of the Black Student Union there at the University of Buffalo saying that I'm an embarrassment. I, I wanted to say, hey, McFly, I got a bachelor's and two <laughs> master's degrees. Okay, you ain't got any degree. Okay, so I don't know who's the embarrassment. But, but I, I was telling the police that, you know, really, you guys are escorting me out. You're protecting me from them. Uh, but you have to maintain your calm in these situations. And it was an embarrassing moment for those students and for that campus and for the administration there. Is there a wake-up, though, going on within the African-American community? I've looked at yeah. recent numbers that show that the traditional, almost 100% support for Democrats has completely collapsed. Yes. And many, many more African-American voters are saying, we can't support this stuff. Because many of them are, are family-oriented. They're uh, so many of them pro-life, they're pro-Second yes. Amendment, they, they're really conservative, but somebody told them they had to be Democrat. And that's the whole point. Uh, you know, I'm with the Patriot Academy now, and we've got to educate and inform people. We've got to get them to understand those principles and values. And you're absolutely right. When I'm standing up there and I'm telling the kids the number one issue facing the black community today is fatherlessness. Yeah. Only 24% of black kids have a mother and father in the home with them. Uh, the How much? 24%? 24%. Whoa. The, yeah. And when I was born in a blacks-only hospital, the number was close to 77%. Uh, and it's the policies of the Democrat Party, Lyndon Johnson. You look at the failures of the education system, the lack of quality businesses and things of that nature. And then, of course, the gang violence. So as you start to bring out those points and talk to people about principles and values, not party, and the same thing we're seeing in Texas yeah. with the Hispanic community, they're awakening and they're coming around. You are involved with the, uh, the Patriot Academy. I want you to describe what is that and why does that matter to the rest of us? It matters because I think right now we are in an ideological war, an ideological mm. battle between constitutional conservatism and progressive socialism and Marxism. And we have got to start teaching, once again, our first principles, our declaration, our constitution, not just to our kids, but to our adults Absolutely. as well. And so that's one of the things that the Patriot Academy does. And the other thing is that we've got to get the Christian community to understand biblical citizenship. Uh, you're not just supposed to go along and get along. As a matter of fact, it says in Romans 12, too, that you're supposed to not conform to the world, but supposed to transform the world through the mind and the will of Christ Jesus that's within you. I'm so glad that there is a spiritual element to the Patriot Academy because uh, sometimes people think if they're just, you know, good Americans, that that's all. But our country founded on biblical principles, that's simply just irrefutable that that's the case. Mm -hmm. Not that everybody 
that helped create America loved God, but there was an understanding that there was biblical truth upon which we needed yes. to be founded. And clearly the Patriot Academy is Absolutely. There is no it. other country in the world, Governor, that was founded on the premise that the individual is sovereign mm. because the individual receives their rights from a sovereign God, their life, their liberty, pursuit of happiness, or John Locke said, property. So we have got to restore that understanding. And we've got to get people to remember John Locke, you know, natural rights theory, the laws of nature and nature's God, which is what Thomas Jefferson quoted in mm -hmm. the Declaration of Independence. You know, I always love being around you. You inspire me. You encourage me. Uh, you're, you're a true, honest-to-God American hero. I know about your military service and the things that you did of great valor. Uh, you serve this country with distinct honor and Thank valor, you. my friend, and you continue to do so. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much, brother. Well, we've got all the links to Colonel Allen West so that you can keep up with him on real time in social media and so much more, including finding out more about the Patriot Academy. I hope you'll head over to Huckabee.tv. We have a link to Patriot Academy and to Colonel West. Right now, we're going to link you to Keith Bilbrey. He's going to tell us some of the other things that are coming up on the show tonight. Well, next, Mike jokes with the news on In Case You Missed It. And don't look away, magician Stuart McDonald is still to come on Huckabee. Did you guys like that music right there? Yes, you did. Poison Ivy? Yeah. Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy. when you're in your bed or sleeping. Poison Ivy. Uh-oh. Hey, I lo always love that. Y'all done messed him up now. He's over <laughs> here. <laughs> He's trying to put the lyrics out there for us all. Yeah. Well, anyway, Trey Corley, the Music City Connection, the I very best in the whole country. Give him a big hand. And if we ever need Keith to sing, we'll ask him. But we haven't asked okay. him tonight. We're not going to. However, it is time to set a new world record for weird news on In Case You Missed It. Well, if you watch the show, you know that we love bizarre Guinness World Records. And this week, we got some doozies. Vietnamese tourism officials are about to open the world's longest glass bridge. It's called the Bach Long Bridge, and it's made of clear tempered glass so that you can look straight down to a sheer drop of 500 feet. It's 2,073 feet and six inches long. Whoa. Keith, you know what the hardest part is to step on? What? The first six inches. That's the hardest <laughs> I part. I believe it. That sounds like the Sears Tower, it, you know. It's it got does. It's crazy. Tail. And by the way, the reason they named it the Bach Bridge was after all the people screaming, Go Bach! Go Bach! <laughs> and by the way, it can that. hold, you know, there's a limit of the people that could be on there. It can hold a maximum of 500 Vietnamese people or 50 Americans. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Some things ought to be made out of steel, and bridges are one. I would agree with you on that. It is over 600 feet longer than the current record holder, which is a glass bridge over a canyon in China. Now, would you walk on a bridge that, well, is made in China? 
Uh, yeah, me neither. I'll tell you that right now. All right, next, congratulations to Gisela Shore of Green Acres, Florida, who has a chihuahua named Toby Keith. Toby Keith! That's the name of the dog, Toby Keith. What? Yeah. Now, I would have given her the award for world's best dog name, but in March, Toby Keith was named the world's oldest living dog at 21 years and 66 days. Wow. That's 148 in dog years. Wow. Which means that if he were a human, he'd be in Congress. (laughs) (laughs) And running for re-election. Running for re-election, 100%. Now, Gisela says that people can't believe how good Toby looks for his age, but how would they know? Because all the other dogs his age are dead. Right. There you go. Can he still bark? I don't know about the barking. He doesn't have to when he's that old, right? (laughs) (laughs) By the way, remember the Van uh, Trapp family, you know, who sang the song, I am 16 going on 17? Sure. Well, the Trapp family of Duluth, Minnesota could sing, I am six feet going on seven feet. They have been named the world's tallest family. Wow. Wow. Big distinction. The mom, Catherine, is the shortest in the family. She's only 6'3". Her son, Adam, (laughs) is the tallest. He's 7'3". The mom, the dad, the son, and two daughters have an average height of over six feet, eight inches, and a combined height equal to half a tennis court. Ah. Do they paint for a living? No, no, no. They play basketball. (laughs) Well, they did, but Adam had a knee injury, and their daughter, Molly, she got concussions from hitting her head on door frames, ceiling fans, and chandeliers. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's actually true. That happened. Now, in fact, the whole family might set another world record for the most head injuries. That's possible, too. That. Yeah. Finally, our favorite word in this segment, right? <laughs> Finally, there is no Guinness World Record for stupidity, but if there were, a man in Derby, England might take it. He bought a red Ferrari supercar that was worth $325,000 for a car. Wow. And he managed to drive it about two miles before he crashed it. So it's true, a car does lose its value as soon as you drive it off. <laughs> ah. <laughs> now, maybe he forgot that he was in England and he was supposed to drive on the left side of the road. I don't know what happened. But the good news is the driver was uninjured, so I guess he hasn't told his wife about this quite yet. But you know, there's a good never story, Keith. What's that? Well, in this story, it still has that new car smell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before our jokes start to smell, we're going to speed on out of here. But until next time, always remember that we read the news. Well, next, the inspiring story of author Maury Davis, plus American Idol rocker Caleb Johnson. More Huckabee is on the way. In the middle of war and suffering, Samaritan's Purse is showing people the love and care of Christ. Their practical and spiritual support for the war-torn is only possible because of God's grace and your practical and spiritual support for Samaritan's Purse. I hope that you'll visit their website or call them today. Lend your aid to those who are in very desperate need. Thanks and God bless. 
Pastor Maury Davis is no stranger to failure and mistakes. Early in his life, he made mistakes so bad they landed him behind bars. But it was in prison that he was also confronted with his need for a Savior. And after being freed by the grace of God twice, once in prison and once from prison, he went on into the ministry and has become one of America's most successful leadership experts and authors. He's got a brand new book. This is it right here. And it's called Hindsight 2020. He shares a unique and brutally honest perspective and lessons from mistakes in leadership. Please welcome the author of Hindsight 2020, 10 Mistakes That Offer Clarity and Vision, a dear friend, Pastor Mari Davis. Mari, great having you here. Thank you, Governor. How are you doing? I'm great. You're, you're one of those people that I've always loved and admired because you're just, you're fearless. You know, you're fearless in the pulpit. You're fearless in leadership training. This book, in a way, is very fearless because most people write books about their successes, what they've done right, how great they are. You basically wrote a book about your mistakes. I've never seen that before. You know, the level of narcissism in America is off the charts. Yep. We take selfies. How about taking an ussy? <laughs> uh, you know, I was reading that scripture. Uh, I was finishing my ministry at Cornerstone in 2018. And I was reading that scripture where Paul said, those things I want to do, I don't do. Those yeah. things I don't want to do, I do. He realized the inner conflict of humanity and his spirituality. And I thought, how many leaders today truly, transparently introspect? People will learn more from your failures than your tweetables. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I, I can tell you all the good things we did at Cornerstone. Yeah. Uh, and the miracles that God had done. You've interviewed me before about those. Um, but I began to think of what did I get wrong? Mm. And so I wrote down the 10 things I get wrong. But the fundamental thing, and I wish everybody in the audience would get this. I discovered in my life that I had lived my life with a shadow motive. Hmm. an unconscious motive, something I was never aware of. And it was to make sure that I lived every day proving that I was bigger than my shame and my guilt. Hmm. Wow. As an ex-convict in this country, yeah. it never goes away. And when you're a proving leader, you don't recognize other people's value. You use people to achieve goals, not because you don't love them, not because you don't care about them, but because you're unaware and when people have shadow motives in their life, they live a life beneath the trajectory of greatness they could achieve. And so I wrote the book not for people to say, you were really a bad guy, you were a horrible person, uh, but for other people to say, if he can be honest, I can. That's why there's a workbook that goes with it. And, uh, and so I wrote those 10 things down, and I'm sure some of them you looked at and said, this boy was a train wreck. Now, you know, honestly, what I looked at was some of these I thought, wow, not only are they powerful revelations that you have admitted, but they're also, um, I think, very instructive. People don't usually think of themselves by their mistakes. And it's not that you're trying to say, oh, woe is me, I'm the worst person on earth. You're just saying you can learn from successes, but you better learn from mistakes. Chapter four in the book, my favorite of all of them, I confused authentic with unfiltered. I saw, boy, don't we all do that? We think that if we're blunt and we hurt people's feelings, well, I'm just being authentic. But you came to the conclusion that it wasn't always authenticity that you had achieved. 
Yeah, you know, people would always say, we just can't wait to see what you're going to say. And I would say, neither can I. And, uh, you know, I mean, loving me is like frying bacon naked. I mean, it's worth doing, but it's going to be painful. And, and, and those, see, there you go. those are the little quotes. And, uh, but it was things like that. Yeah. And, uh, and here's the deal with that unfiltered. A lot of you laughed out there, and two of you are still figuring out what I said. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> no, they've done it before. They, they've really thought it was the way you did bacon, I think. It's yeah, a real problem. Yeah. We don't want to know who you are, by the way. <laughs> and so, uh, so people come and say, we just love it. It's always got an entertainment package. Uh, the spiritual quality with the entertainment was a good blend. The problem is when they don't have authenticity. Authenticity is predictable. Hmm. Unfiltered is unpredictable. If I want to bring my friend to this church... I love my pastor, I love my church, but I don't know what he's going to say. And this person is a hypersensitive, woke, mm. uh, millennial, uh, easily offended person. I don't bring them to church. Now, my goal, my primary goal is to get people from uh, out of church, into church, from the pew to an altar to Jesus Christ. Yeah. If what I'm doing creates any barriers between the ultimate purpose of my life I'm causing myself to live beneath my potential. Mm -hmm. Authenticity is predictable. Uh, you, uh, one of the other ones in there is I didn't continue my formal education. You graduated from a low-class seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was unfiltered, wasn't it? That I mean, was unfiltered, <laughs> yes. You've just demonstrated the difference between authentic and unfiltered. You've proven the point of your book right here. <laughs> uh, you know, Southwestern is just an incredible seminary. We know that. But uh, when you don't continue your education, your reasoning skills are produced at a different level. IQ can be the same, but a person with a formal education processes problems, challenges, thoughts, dreams, and goals through a different channel because they've exercised the brain muscle mm. in a different way. I'm highly intuitive, and I thought, well, as long as I operate within my intuition, I'll be right most of the time. Yeah. The problem is the 10% you're wrong is catastrophic, hmm. and so I didn't continue my education, which kept me from identifying, hey, you can't say that. That's a powerful thing. I think the book is going to be very helpful no matter who a person is, but especially helpful for leaders, pastors, Sunday school teachers, CEOs, managers. Uh, moms and dads who manage a household. Uh, the book is called Hindsight 2020. And don't we all have 2020 hindsight? Uh, Mari's book is available right now everywhere. And along with that, a lot of other great resources. If you want to know how to get it, go to Huckabee.tv. We have a link to the book and to how to get it. And you'll want to do that right now. Speaking of right now, Keith is going to tell us to look ahead about what we've got coming up after the break. Coming up, the mesmerizing magic of Stuart McDonald. Later, American Idol winner Caleb Johnson sings for us. You're watching Huckabee. Say, ha! 
Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and more by going to shop.huckabee.tv. Well, our next guest started in the corporate world, but his unique talents led him in a very different direction. He has fooled Penn and Teller, and he's the reigning North American champion of magic. I can't wait to see what he's about to do. So please welcome the amazing Stuart McDonald. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the magic I'm about to perform for you is uh, something that you've never seen before. And trust me, I know that to be a fact because I'm the only one to perform this act and I've never been here before. <laughs> but what's interesting is that this character of mine is not a magician. He's just a guy that got lost in a haunted house and found some unusual stuff. And all the magic happens to him. Let's see what happens.
Stuart McDonald. Thank you. Thank Great you very to much. have you here. Uh, you. I'll take care of the uh, bags of money if you need someone Political to help donation? Me. I thought, you know, when, when uh, you stuck your hand back there and all the money disappeared, I said, the government has come to our show. <laughs> I knew it. I knew they were coming, and sure enough, they did. They collected all of your uh, wages. Well, well, I got some here left over. So. Well, good. We'll clean that up. Don't you worry about it, Stuart. We'll take <laughs> care of that. Hey, to see more of Stuart McDonald and to learn more about this summer's World Magic Championships, visit Huckabee.tv. We've got a bouquet of links with all kinds of stuff that will just magically appear. And if you look towards Keith, he's going to make the rest of our show magically appear as well. Oh, yes. Up next, American Idol winner singer Caleb Johnson. Stay with Huckabee. And welcome back. Caleb Johnson is, well, he's on a mission. Guess you could say he's a missionary. He's out to spread the joy of rock and roll. Now, after winning American Idol season 13, Caleb has performed with KISS, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and Meatloaf. In fact, he was here for Meat's last television appearance on our show just a few weeks before Meatloaf passed away. Caleb's latest recording is this one right here, and I love that it's on vinyl. Mountain Mojo Volume 1 is out. He's here to tell us more about it. Would you please welcome Caleb Johnson. Oh. Caleb, when you were here a few months ago and you were here with Meatloaf and you sang with him, Every single person on our staff fell in love with you and said, we got to get him back. Awesome. That guy's amazing. It's an honor to be here, man. Absolutely. You, you thrilled us, and we couldn't wait to get you back for a solo appearance. And uh, this is pretty incredible, your album, Mountain Mojo. I love it that it's volume one because it's sort of a preview that there's going to be some more of these, right? A second helping, if you will, yeah. yeah. Where would you, where'd you get your voice? Because this has got such strength. Oh man, it's it's a it's a combination of gospel and blues and soul and rock and roll and even some heavy metal in there. It's just a big bombastic powerhouse vocal, I think. That's just I got a lot of gas in the tank. That's that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad that uh, there's no energy crisis in your voice. When did you start singing? How old were you? I probably actually started singing maybe sophomore year of high school. So I haven't really? been singing very long. I was just always very loud. So I was able to harness that power and kind of develop it over time. But it, I really have only been singing maybe a decade. See, yeah. there are a lot of kids that are loud, but they can't get to the same notes key, that you do. Key. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's what I think is so remarkable is that you just, I mean, take it to a level. Obviously, you did it well. You uh, won American Idol. That must have been a big, huge thrill. It changed my life. Yeah. And I want you to tell us a little bit about the, uh, some of the cuts on Mountain Mojo. Yeah, so we recorded that record um, back in 2020 in Nashville, Tennessee at uh, Blackbird Studios, literally in the midst of the pandemic that was going on. And I was like, you know what? I just want to make a rock and roll record yeah. uh, in Nashville. And so called up some buddies of mine, Jason Bonham, who's the son of, of John Bonham from the legendary rock and roll band Led Zeppelin, lended his 
amazing, powerful uh, drumming uh, skills on the record. We've got uh, Audley Freed, Tyler Bryant, Damon Johnson. Uh, it was mixed and mastered by uh, uh, six-time Grammy-winning uh, mixer Vance Powell, who's mixed all of Chris Stapleton's records, um, and Sergio Simpson, and was mastered by Pete Lyman, who also worked on Chris's records. So. Well You've got a couple of cuts on here. We're going to hear one of them tonight for the show, and one we'll be able to put on our website for people to get digitally. As Caleb gets ready to sing tonight, we're not going to let him come and just talk. Of course not. We love this guy. We absolutely, truly love him, and he's going to sing for us. Keith is going to do his job, which is tell us how to get Mountain Mojo, Volume 1. Hey, come on! Head to Huckabee.tv for links to purchase or stream Caleb Johnson's Mountain Mojo Volume 1. While you're there, watch Caleb's online exclusive performance of his single, Hurricane. Now, here to sing with Trey Corley in the Music City Connection is Caleb Johnson! Yeah. 